Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, May 21st, 2023. The share ID numbers for Friday, May 19th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 20,275. That's 20275. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 20,276. That's 20276. This morning, A Vision for You presents He Enables Us to Match Calamity with Serenity. For members of 12-step fellowships, such as Overeaters Anonymous, the steps serve a very specific purpose. According to Alcoholics Anonymous co-founder Bill Wilson, their author, the 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink for us to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. In other words, the 12 steps can keep us, as recovered compulsive overeaters, food sober and happy. However, life much like an ocean, no ocean, no matter how beautiful, is calm all the time. There will inevitably be storms. It does perhaps mean we'll be causing less of them, but life does not stop being life just because we're abstinent and in recovery. We simply finally have a design for living well and better that really works. Though calamity will eventually come, we can meet it with a better attitude, mindset, and capability than we ever did before. We could never successfully navigate the storms of life when we were vigorously self-reliant. The big book says there is a better way. Of course there is. Our defense must come from a higher power. We place our reliance on an infinite God rather than our finite selves. The big book states, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? Joining us today to elaborate on this topic is Julie R., a recovered compulsive overeater from California. Julie is a beloved member of Overeaters Anonymous and a vision for you, always happy to give service to the fellowship, and it's a pleasure to welcome Julie R. to the line. Good morning, Julie. Hi, good morning. Thank you, Leah. 
uh, Julia R. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, so I thought I'd uh, go over a little bit why I belong to OA first, right? Why am I here? Well, I have the twofold illness and um, a spiritual malady. So what does that mean for if there's any newcomers? It's once I start injecting any, any of my alcoholic foods or engage in those alcoholic behaviors that I have, I just can't stop. And then I can't stop from starting, right, the obsession of the mind. You know, even if I'm abstinent but not recovered, the obsession will bring me back to the food, back to the behaviors. Um, I've been maintaining for the most part about 155-pound weight loss. Um, I've been abstinent, 100% abstinent, weighed and measured. uh, It was three years in January. Um, So just a little bit about, you know, you know, my life, I guess. I started using food about eight. Um, You know, it gave me power that I needed. Um, I had a very abusive um, childhood, which does not mean why I'm a compulsive overeater because there's people in the room that have had a wonderful childhood and they're a compulsive overeater. It was just, you know, my story. Um, You know, I hated my body. I had a warped sense of reality. I lived in constant fear, fear of not being good enough, fear of what people thought about me. Um, Hence, I started having to be the best, right? Um, I remember wearing um, a light jean jacket in the summer to hide my body because I thought it was so ugly when I was a size 10. Uh, And, of course, then my mom told me one day, I think I was 13, that no man will want a fat girl. I think I was probably 10 pounds overweight. So here we go. We started the, the whole diet gig. And, you know, there's so many of them back in the day, but it was like, you know, brown rice diet, the cabbage soup diet, the pay waves, um, let me see, shots, hypnosis, fasting, you name it. Um, I did it. Multiple gym memberships. Um, and, you know, diets do work for people who are not the real compulsive over ears. You know, if I just had the allergy, then a diet would have worked because I wouldn't be engaging in those alcoholic foods, so I wouldn't be setting up the craving. But, you know, I have that special part, you know, the obsession of the mind. So, yeah, diets don't work for people like me. Um, Like I said, as soon as I was able to, I moved out at age 18 just to escape, and it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be free. I'm going to be free. Uh, My first night in my apartment, I went to the store, and I bought every kind of binge food that we are never allowed to. eat you know we had like you know five course meal every night but we only homemade desserts everything was you know homemade um and not not real special or fancy um but you know good healthy wholesome food whatever well i bought everything that was on a no-no list and i binged and purged all night in my apartment, afraid somebody was going to break in and kill me because that we were always having to lock the doors, make sure somebody doesn't break a, break in and kill us. That was our discussion before we went to bed. And that's how my freedom started. Well, didn't work out so well. Um, I gained 100 pounds in probably six months, and now I finally looked hideous like I had always felt. Um so I started OA, I think it was in 1981, and um, I have not been absent all that time, as you could tell, since I just said I had three years in January, and um, I've had, you know, four or five years a couple of times, um, but what happens is I rest on my laurels and go back backwards in the steps faster than I went forward. Um, 
and thank you, God, today, one day at a time, I'm living in a state of recovery. You know, the, the paragraph is, is so key, you know, on, on page 68 that, you know, Leah read, we trust infinite God rather than our finite self, which I always trusted myself. We are in the world to play the role he assigns, not the role that Julie thinks he assigns, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us. And humbly, there's that word, humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? Um, you know, the big book talks throughout, you know, has got some little snippets about, you know, how we live, how we used to live. And on page 62, it talks about selfishness, right? Self-centeredness being the root of my trouble. I never thought so. I just thought that I had to do it and I had to do it right and everybody else was doing it wrong. Um, so I would take control. And it also says about, you know, we're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. And again, I just thought I was a strong woman. But no, I needed to do that because that's the only way that I thought I could get a handle on things. And what did it do to people, right? It created, created a lot of chaos. I did not live with serenity. What I did do is I lived in calamity when I was abstinent only and or in relapse. And, um, you know, how did I create chaos with my selfishness? Well, like I said before, always trying to control people, people at work, um, trying to control my children trying to control what activities we were going to do, uh, living with horrific fear. You know, it's like, when is that other shoe going to drop? Um, and there, even if there was nothing to be afraid of, I would find something. And, and on page 67, it says, you know, fear is that evil corroding thread that it set um, in motion of trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune. I can remember being so fearful, and this is when I was like 18. I was at a um, Day on the Green concert, and, you know, here it is, like this fantastic lineup, you know, Aerosmith, Wed Zeppelin, uh, the Rolling Stones for $10, mind you, back then. And I, all I could think about was, oh, my God, I think I left the curling iron on. I mean, that is not normal. So fear has always been such a huge part of me. You know, how did I get that fear rolling? Instead of enjoying this, awesome concert. I am freaking out that I left the curling iron on. So yeah, it crippled me. And, you know, this is how I lived in calamity. And, you know, it's like with my son, Connor, some of you know, some of you, my sponsors are on the line, my sponsees, my, my fellows, you know, when Connor would go anywhere, I would go into this panic. Oh my God, he's going to get in trouble. He's going to get drunk. He's going to get in trouble. And I would be in constant fear. I would follow him on the app. And then sometimes things did happen. He did get arrested. He did get in a fight. But I was so filled with panic that something was going to happen. And when the phone would ring at 2 o'clock in the morning, I would be sick to my stomach. And sometimes it wasn't him, and sometimes it was. But the fact is that I was waiting for that to happen. And nobody could calm me down. Like, Julie, it's no big deal. He's fine. How do you know he's fine? We haven't heard from him. I would stalk his Instagram. Um, my older son, you know, his depression, things like that. I would just be sick with worry. And, you know, yeah, I would be abstinent, but I was not recovered because I was so into the selfishness, self-centeredness. It was that it was killing me and it was affecting other people too. Um, I, you know, I would have an inc inc I 
I'm having trouble saying that word, inquisition, you know, instead of just saying, hey, how's it going, Garrett? I would bombard him with 20 questions. You know, that's not how a mother should treat their son. Uh, how did I control at work, right? How did I bring calamity and not serenity? Well, my job kind of lends itself to control. It's like, it's like so funny, this compulsive overeater. I'm a, a mission assurance quality director for aerospace and defense. And it's like, what better place to exert control, right? You know, everything's got to be right. And I get to tell people when they're wrong. But there's a way of doing that, right? You can do it with compassion. Um, you don't have to go in there with an iron fist. So I could create lots of drama at work. Um, you know, planning the entire weekend. And then my husband just looking at me like, Julie, it's 5 a.m. on Saturday. Can't we just see what happens? You know, he's an army, so he doesn't have our, our disease. Um, my my sister, who's my best friend, uh, Mary, you know, we would character assassinate her husband all the time, not having my older sister in my life, right, or not being nice to her and then having to make amends judging people, right, inside the rooms even. Oh, they're not moderating the way I would moderate. Oh, they're sharing again. Oh, my God, that's two times they've shared this week. All that kind of stuff, right? That's how I keep that ball rolling. That's how I keep myself from being um, free. Um, and so, you know, I looked through the big book, and I, I tried to find, like, okay, where in the big book does it kind of talk about, you know, different ways of how we how we get to live once we become recovered? Um Thank you. My, my other BFF is on this line. She pointed out this one on page 15 where it was Bill's story. I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. It is a design for living that works in rough going. Rough going, right? When life gets rough. And another one of my peeps says, life gets lifey. So what do we do, right? Well, there's another thing on page 25. <clears throat> it talks about that we have had a deep and effective spiritual experience. So what does that mean? And it goes on to say on page 27, where our, we have appeared to be in a nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. Wow. Again, there's that serenity versus calamity. I'm not going to act in fear. I'm not going to act in control. I'm not going to make everybody do what I think they want to do. And and I really can't make people do that. It's like herding cats, right? Um, on page 28, a new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design for living. You know, none of these things talk about, oh, make sure you're abstinent, because that's a given, right? We are abstinent, 100%, black and white, entire abstinence. Uh, page 42, more about alcoholism. Quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve my food? No. Solve all my problems. All my problems. You know, and that's where, you know, I think we, a lot of us can get so zeroed in. You know, putting the food down is, a lot of people say, a step zero, right? I mean, it's like, then the real work happens. Um, yeah, so it's, and on page 84, it says, it, if we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace again calamity versus serenity um so how do i live today what has happened to me once i got recovered again and then i'm living in a recovered state mind and body and soul so 
I'll just kind of go over some things that have happened in the last three years in, in, in abstinence. Um, so a lot of you know my sister, Mary. She's my best friend. She's three years older than me. I'm going to be 64, so she's 67 or 68. Um, you know, she lived with scleroderma for 23 years, which she had systemic, and it could have killed her, and it changed her physically and all this stuff. But, you know, she's a trooper. Three, uh, three years ago, maybe a little bit more, she, yeah, a little bit more, she started showing signs of dementia. And for those of you, you know, Mary and I would talk three, four, five times a day. I mean, we're very connected at the soul. Um, and she started slipping away. And thank God for sponsorship, right, and fellows. I did, I worked the steps around that, losing my sister. Um, so that's happened. And, you know, where is she today? You know, she's forgotten her husband. She thinks he's somebody else. It's kind of funny, actually. Um, and her daughter. And But she'll say, I'll never forget you, Julie. And she hasn't. You know, and I'm, and she will forget me. But you know what? I'm doing the work. I'm not in calamity. I love my sister. And I'll love her forever. Um, my husband. So um, about a year ago, maybe a little bit more, started having headaches and all this stuff. Finally, the doctor started, you know, doing tests. So last October, we got an um, MRI, and he had a huge brain tumor. It was like, I don't know, three inches by whatever. It's like, well, okay, this is different. I was going to retire in December and um, because he's been wanting me to retire for years. And long story short, had the brain tumor removed, had a stroke, during the operation, I believe. Then he had about 30 seizures the following two to three weeks after surgery. So that has been a huge change. Um, he can't drive, probably never ride his motorcycle, probably never drive our huge motor home that we were going to go retire in, probably can't ride our e-bikes. Um, changed him cognitively. Um, Am I in calamity? No. No. I am there for him. And um, so I obviously am not retiring because we want to keep the same neurologist team. We didn't want to take a chance, you know, of him going on. I get that confused, Medicare, Medicaid, whatever. Um, and what else has happened? My son, my older son, you know, he's, he's had bouts of, of severe depression, but I don't bombard him with questions. And I am there for him when he is ready for me. My younger son, well, you know, <laughs> Connor's in Mexico right now. And am I following him to make sure he goes to his villa every night? No. Am I panicked when the phone rings? No. Why? Why? I would have three years ago. Because my creator is the most important thing in my life without exception. And do I look at his Instagram, see how so much fun he's having? Yes. And But it's like, wow, what a difference. Because... In the last three years, I mean, he's gone to Mexico. He's gone to all these places. And he did get into a fight last Christmas. And my son had to pick him up. And he had gotten beaten up. But I wasn't in a panic. 
And it's like, wow, this stuff works. It's not about the food. Well, I should say it's about the food until it's not about the food, right? I mean, the real thing is it's like this design for living. You know, when when life gets rough, are we going to rely on our creator or am I going to rely on my selfishness, my self-centeredness, and all of that stuff? Um, I've had friends pass away. I'm now responsible for five more sites at work. I'm traveling a lot. But, you know, again, I'm going to read that little paragraph, right? We are in the world to play the role he assigns. What is that role? To be a kind, loving, caring, compassionate child of my creator, my gods, my goddesses. And how do I do that first? Abstinence. Just to the extent that we do as he, we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So how do I, how do I handle these life events, right? Like I said, so what do I do? What do I do? Well, in the morning, I wake up and I have choices, right? Do I start my day's activities? Do I check my social media? Do I go play with my dogs? I do get my coffee. I have to say that. But then what do I do? I have my quiet time. I sit down in my sacred place and I do my prayer and my meditation. I put my spiritual armor on and I get like infused by my gods. I do a tarot reading. I'll light my sage. I'll do some crystal work. I'll do some two-way prayer. I'll do whatever comes to me. I'll just do a guided meditation. I'll just talk to God. I'll read upon awakening. Whatever, whatever I am like led to do, that's what I do. Um, Because I can't afford to rest on my laurels. I've done that. After three, four, four and a half years of abstinence. And I say just abstinence because the last couple of months when I started resting on my laurels, that's when things started to erode. You know, of course, the the spirituality starts to slip and then my emotional sobriety is gone. And then then I get to start living in calamity, in abstinence. Like I I love one of our fellows would say in, in the bedevilment, in abstinence is your life having, you know, financial issues. In abstinence are you having, you know, a troubled relationship. So that's what I do. I pray and I meditate. Um, you know, I aim for 30 minutes most days. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. Um, I plan. I do a nightly review, but most of the time I do it like at 3 o'clock in the morning. I do a nightly review that goes over my day, and I answer just those 12 questions in the big book. Selfish, resentful, fearful, you know, what could I have done better? Um you know, I, I, another fellow that that last question. You know, when it when it asks us um, about the stream of life, it's like, how did I stock the stream? Was I a fountain, right, or was I a drain? And I plan my food all the time. I weigh and measure my food 100% of the time. I make phone calls three at least and receive three or more. Why do I do that? I do it for a couple of reasons. The newcomer, 
I do it that I need to bounce stuff off. I, if I need a 10 step or if I just need to talk to a fellow uh, to be of service. I mean, just when I quote unquote, you know, get to my goal weight or quote unquote being a recovered status doesn't mean I don't need the fellowship. I have a sponsor. I have sponsees actively in the steps. I have two sponsees at any given time going through the work, usually one on the first five steps and the one at the towards 10, 11, and 12. And then as soon as that one gets to, to 12 um, and we go to a different cadence and calls, I get a newcomer. Um, I'm in the big book. I attend um, at least three live meetings. Um, I listen to podcasts. Um, all of these things collectively, it allows me to be close to God. Number one is God, right? Creator, prayer time, all that stuff. But how do I listen to my creator? I got to have abstinence. It's kind of like that whole chicken and the egg thing. Because if I'm not abstinent, that drain gets clogged and I'm only hearing a tenth of what my creator is saying. And for me, somebody is, is I am that real compulsive overeater. I mean, I would, I mean, I got up to like last, the heaviest that I know it was like 302 and I'm 5'2 and I would vomit five to six times a day. So I am just not somebody who just overeats a little bit. When I take that first compulsive bite, I will gain 40 pounds in a month, six weeks. Um, so it's like, yeah, I have to do, they're my daily disciplines. Now, God, of course, is not a daily discipline. God is infused in me, above me, below me, around me, everything. But I have to have my daily stuff. And it's like that, all of that collectively allows me to live in serenity. Am I always peaceful? Am I always happy, joyous, and free? Of course not, because, you know, life gets lifey, as, as uh, a fellow says. But when Clay was in that surgery for like eight hours, I was with my boys. And now they're, they're normal, uh, I guess, non-addictive. Well, Connor, I'm not quite too sure, but um, we laughed and we joked. We didn't sit there wringing our hands, being in a panic. We were playing cards. It was like, I, I don't have to be consumed. I don't have to be this, oh, my God, my life is falling apart. You know, with work, I've got a lot of, I mean, I had responsibilities, but now I even have more. And there's been some things happen that are just crazy. And what do I do? Do I go to Julie or do I go to God? No, I go to God. And um, do I ever have to make an amends? Yes, because sometimes I'll get snippy and I'll have to go back and say, you know what, I really regret the way that, that, tone, that tone of voice I used. That, that wasn't appropriate. And, you know, I didn't mean to, I, I don't say I don't mean to, but, you know, I'll make the amends. Um, but I don't have huge messes to clean up. And, you know, that's where that whole six and seven stuff comes in. It's like, you know, my list of character defects, how I acted in them with certain people and what my solution is with those people. And before I get on a meeting, because there's a couple of people here who get my nightly review, there's a couple of names that have been repeated lately. So I got to have like this piece of paper with the solutions with this one engineer so I don't get pissy. Um, but if I don't do those things, I'll be back in that calamity. 
I might not be overeating, but I won't have all those promises. I won't be free. I won't be um, living with a calm heart. I won't be able to withstand the things that happen in life. I mean, I have no clue what's going to be happening with my husband. I mean, he has some cognitive issues, and they said it could take up to two years to get whatever he's going to get back, and it's been, uh, what, six months? We don't know what the future is. But you know what? I don't have to dwell on it. I don't live in that evil, corroding thread of fear. Um, it's like the... It's like with my sister Mary, you know, every day is a gift. And she called me yesterday and she didn't know what was going on and she had some fear in her and I just loved on her. I just loved on her. And my other sister, who I have not had the best relationship with, and um, we talk at least once a week now. And that wasn't me, right? That was my relationship with my creator showing me that the way that I had treated her in the past wasn't okay. And how can I be loving, caring, and kind? How can I be compassionate? How can I face calamity with serenity? She is showing signs of dementia and Alzheimer's. She's 74, going to be 75. And it's like, I'm going to probably be taking care of her because she's 20 miles away and she lives alone. Um, it's like, we got to be selfless. How can I be of service? How can I be available? Not to the point where it's going to be detrimental to myself, but how can I be helpful to my sister? And I wouldn't have done that before because I was too selfish, too self-centered. I didn't want her in my life. I, I, I. And it's like, um, but it, it, so this is this is where what happens to us, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human being. I have flaws. So we were supposed to go to this huge wedding. My cousin was getting married to her partner of 17 years. And my sister Linda can be somewhat difficult. And we weren't going to take her to the wedding. We were going to go um, probably to go see Clay's brother and or just not take her with us because we didn't want the hassle. And I wrote about the dishonesty in that because she can't drive that far. And it just was like God was talking to me. No, you need to be of service. How can you be of service? And I talked to my husband, and we came to the same conclusion at the same time because he was having the same thoughts. And we took her to the wedding. And we brought her back. That's what a recovered person does. I am not this perfect person. I have thoughts of dishonesty. I have thoughts of selfishness. I have thoughts of being self-centered. I want what I want when I want. But thank you, Creator. Most of the time, I don't act on it. Most of the time. Because I've had a spiritual experience, right? Where ideas have changed. My thoughts have changed. The way I breathe has changed. I'm calmer. 
because of my creator. You know, it's just, I just can't say that enough. I will go back into the chaos because I am super good at creating chaos when I'm not spiritually fit. And if that happens, if I start living in chaos, the serenity is nowhere to be found and I'm creating harm. I'm making more amends. I'm doing less 10 steps. Then I'm not making the amends. And then I have to pick up the food. I have to because I can't live like that. That obsession will come back and slam into me. Granted, I hadn't had any of my alcoholic food, but I'll be crazy. And, um, you know, I know I'll never have another relapse if I continue to do what I do each and every day. If I continue to do what I do throughout the day. You know, step 11 is so clear. Upon awakening, what do we do? What do we do all throughout the day? What do we do at night? I don't have to have any guesswork. All of those things keep me living in serenity, keep me from reacting in self. Um, And, and, you know, there's just so many things that, that can happen, that have happened, but I don't have to live in chaos. I don't have to be that Tasmanian devil leaving horrific damage and awake. You know, am I a best friend with that one sister? No. But if she called me right now and said, Julie, I need you, I'd be there in a heartbeat. My brother-in-law, who my sister and I would just make fun of constantly, now that she's um, in her dementia, she thinks it's another guy, and which is kind of good because they had such a horrible marriage. And she thinks it's another Steve. And it's like she gets to have freedom, even in her dementia. She's forgotten all the pain from her marriage. And I actually made amends to him a couple of years ago, all the way that I treated him since I was 16. I mean, that is not me, right? It's like somebody on the line always says, is it God or is it God? It's like healing these relationships. Because I lived in chaos with him, calamity. I just couldn't wait to just be mean to him. And now I call him up just to see how he's doing. Because, you know, he's having a hell of a time. Um, My niece is still living on the streets of San Francisco, a drug addict. You know, um, friends have died. I mean, just like, you know, I just think of my husband in the next room. You know, he um, he might not be the same. And I could be into this self-pity. Oh, my God, I, we should have been re- retired by now. No, I get to help him. I get to help him walk when he's unsteady. You know, it's, um, he's not a burden. It's because I have serenity in my heart. But how did I get that serenity? It's all about my God, my God. And, um, yeah, you know, we can all do that because life, life is not easy. Life is hard. But it doesn't mean that it's got to be um, filled with fear 
And that doesn't mean that I have to go and try to fix everybody because that, that's, you know, when I fix people, I usually create more, um, you know, more trouble. Oh, I think, gosh, I know it's only been 35 minutes. My goodness. So I guess we can leave lots of time for questions, but it, it's just like my life is filled with more serenity than, than calamity. But I know I could slip right back into calamity any minute if I don't pray and if I don't seek my creator throughout the day, um, if I don't fill my cup up, right? You know, I, I love that analogy that, you know, you go to, you, you put money in a bank, so when you use your ATM card to withdraw, you have cash. Well, it's the same kind of thing, right, with, with my God. If, if I am praying, if I am being kind, compassionate, loving, if I am seeking my creator in all things, I'm filling up that cup. So when my sister calls me and she doesn't know who this man is, I can draw on that bank, my spiritual bank, and it's not bankrupt. But if I don't fill up my spiritual bank when things happen, there's nothing for me to draw on. It'll just be Julie. And when I'm drawing on Julie, then we begin that road down where it's fear, chaos, control, and the serenity has gone out the window. So I'm excited. You know, life, I'm excited. Um, it's like my life is good. It's not defined by life events. All of those things that I listed that have been going on are just events. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just an event. And how am I going to react to that? Is it going to be filled with serenity? Doesn't mean I'm not going to have fear. Do you think I don't have fear with my husband when he is outside trying to do something because he's just tired of not being able to do something? But I let him try. I let him do it. My son will just kind of wait in the, in, outside to see, you know, what's going on. You, you don't think I have fear about my sister when she does call me and say, who are you? I mean, that is going to crush me. But it's not going to make me eat. It's not going to make me stay in the, under the covers because I can't live. It's just going to make me remember her more. And, um, you know, on a lighter note, it's like with Connor. I mean, he's going to Spain for six weeks. Thank you, God, I'm going to be, my spiritual bank is going to be full because I don't have to worry about him. Um, oh, I shouldn't say that. I don't have to worry about him being the way I used to worry about him. And Garrett, you know, just giving him to God. And, you know, he's coming out of his depression. And I didn't have to make it worse. So, yeah, life is good. Life is good. And, you know, I look forward to what's going to happen today. What's going to happen tomorrow? Well, not tomorrow. i got a big audit. But after that. So I think with that, I'm going to um, just leave it up for questions. That's okay. Good morning, Julie. Thank you so much <laughs> for this beautiful presentation this morning. Such a powerful and inspiring presentation. Your transformation is certainly breathtaking, truly remarkable. A beautiful 
illustration of recovery. Thank you very, very much. The share ID will be given in a few minutes. Please uh, be patient regarding that. We'll have that for you. Julie's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that as well. We will now transition to question and answer segment. Pressing star one to unmute, I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. I have a question. Your name, Mary please. Are. So my name is Agnes A., and I'm from California. Okay, one minute, Agnes. Thank you. One minute. Let me see who else has a question as well. Mary Lee R. R. in Oregon. Mary Lee Chris R. Chris M. Chris M. Okay. Susan C. Amy B. New York. Susan C. Who am I missing back there after Susan C.? Amy B. in New York. Is it Bonnie B.? I'm not catching Amy. it. Amy. My apologies. Thank Amy you. B. No sure. worries. You add Melissa C. And Melissa C. Gotcha, Melissa. Thus far, I have Agnes A., Mary Lee R., Chris M., Susan C., Amy B., Melissa C. Anyone else? Carol C. Carol C. And who? Connie G. And Connie G. Okay, let's hold it there. And we will proceed now with Agnes A, followed by Mary Lee R. And if everybody else could press star one to remute. Thank you. Go ahead, Agnes, with your question, please. You can hear me? I can. Thank you. Thank you so much, Julie, for your um, for sharing your strength and uh, your hope. And uh, that was very insightful for me. My question is, and I hope it's not simplistic, but as succinctly as possible, could you just share your recipe for your spiritual connection to God? In other words, on a day-to-day basis, what are those five, six steps, you know, that you invariably take to have that connection with God beyond just being abstinent? Thank you, and I pass. Hi, sure. Um, you know, for me, <clears throat> it's like it's upon awakening, and I, and I love that in, in the big book, you know, when it talks about upon awakening. I, I just, I don't try to reinvent the wheel. I try to just follow what the big book says. And as soon as I wake up, what I do is I I thank my creator. As soon as I open up my eyes, right, before before I do anything at all. Um, and then I go get a cup of coffee. And then I will sit down in my sacred place. I'll light a candle. And I'll do another couple prayers. You know, maybe just talk to God. And then it's like I, I, I have a lot of different modalities. I, I, I just can't say the same prayers or do the same practice every day. For me, it doesn't work. I know it works great for other people, but my mind just doesn't work that way. And, you know, on the big in the big book, it says, uh, on awakening, let us think about the next 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. So that's what I do. 
God, please show me how you want me to be today. And then I'll do a guided meditation. There's great apps out there. Um, I have like 50 different tarot decks. I'll pick a deck. I'll do a card reading. I'll maybe do a two-way prayer. I'll do some candle work. Um, it, it's it's whatever whatever comes to me. And and then sometimes I'll just sit and reflect. And and then the second part of that, right? Because that's that's the morning. And then it says on page um, eighty-five. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. We ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or direction. We relax and take it easy, right? So when I'm faced with something, I just don't say yes or no. I used to just, somebody would ask me to do something. Oh, sure, yeah. And I wouldn't think about, well, what kind of consequences could that be? Is it taking time away from my family? So what I do now is I pause. I pause throughout the day. I ask my God to help me. Um, because I <laughs> I can be a very selfish, self-centered person. Um, and, you know, it saved my life, you know, when I was growing up, you know, like in, in that whole, you know, abuse, dysfunction, blah, blah, blah stuff, and my job. And so I pause throughout the day. And then at night, I do my reflection. So that's what I do. It's just like, you know, am I in prayer 24-7? Of course not. But I I go to my God a lot. I hope that answered the question. Yes, thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Agnes A. Letting everyone know the share ID for today is 20,279. That's 20279. Continuing with questions, we go to Mary Lee R., followed by Chris M. Good morning, Mary Lee. Good morning, Leah. Um, thank you so much for your blessed service. And Agnes asked my question, but then another one popped in um, about emotional sobriety and people-pleasing Can and and the 10th step work. Can you... Pick one of those and maybe talk a little bit about it, Julie, and thank you for um, for all the years that you've been here. Um, so I could probably touch on all of them real quickly. So it's like emotional sobriety. So for me to have emotional sobriety, I have to have emotional sobriety, right? So first I have to be abstinent, and then I have to have a relationship with my creator, God is everything or nothing. So I got to have that, whatever that means. You know, you know, to you know, I'm not religious. I'm just that I have a God. Um, and by doing my daily spiritual practices, I have emotional sobriety. When I don't do my spiritual practices, which you know, I mean, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh. If I've got to be on the road to get an airplane uh, and I didn't have 30 minutes and I'm rushing and I can feel it, right? And if I were to, it's like, I think somebody said, if I go one day without prayer and meditation, I'll feel it. If I go two days without prayer and meditation, you're going to feel it. So I just make sure that I, I say, thank God. But I, you know, yeah, I have been there. So I, you know, we can tell, you know, that nightly review, right? Step 11, nightly review. That is my barometer, and that will show clear anything. 
when my emotional sobriety is slipping. And I, um, I have a couple people I send my nightly review with, and I have a daily call with one of them, and we go over it. And, man, she calls me on my stuff. Oh, oh you did that. Hmm, let's talk about it. So that's a barometer. So step 10, and I follow it as the big book says. I don't do anything more. It doesn't say to write it down, right? It's in the moment. It either it go it, if if I have it, they were okay. They were in mine. Okay, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear because I'm human. When these things crop up, right? We ask God at once to remove them. Period. Period. So if God removed it, I'm done. Uh, you know, if unless I created harm. If God didn't remove it, right? Then I need to discuss them with with somebody immediately. And immediately, and I love that I heard this before, immediately back in 1939 or whatever meant something different. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't text. So it, it means like as soon as I get that opportunity, um, I'm going to discuss it with somebody and I'll make amends if I harmed anybody. And then I'm going to turn my thoughts to someone. So it takes five minutes or less. I just do it verbatim. I don't write it because it doesn't tell me to. It doesn't ask me um it's not a four step. It doesn't ask me all those other questions. So, and how many 10 steps do I do? I don't do a ton of them, right? Because we've entered the world of the spirit. So, um, could I do one a day? Yes. Do I do one a day? No, because sometimes it just goes away. But as my uh, <laughs> accountability partner suggested that it's come up like three times during this week about this one engineer. So uh, I probably need to do a little bit more work on that. So, hope that answers your question. Thanks. Thank you, Mary Lee. Chris M., your turn, followed by Susan C. Oh, hi. <clears throat> this is Chris M., um, compulsive overeater, recovered in uh, Ontario, Canada. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And Julie, oh, my goodness, I needed to hear your share today, and I just... I could ask a million questions and some of them have been answered, but the thing that resonated most with me when you talked about your, your boys and that overwhelming fear and uh, that fear, the dysfunction of your childhood and, you know, the, oh my goodness, just all of that with the kids. And you talked about um, handing over, um, you know, your kids and some of the, the fears and the, the, uh, you know, the the attempt to control. And I mean, that's all been my experience and a daily surrender for sure. Um, I have a 20-year-old and a 13-year-old boys right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you just sort of share a little bit more about how, um, what that looks like for you, like um, to go from that fear and, you know, handing that over and um, what does that look like and how, how does that go from, um, such intense fear to the peace. I guess your husband would be part of that too. With, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just wondering about the boys specifically. That would be sure so helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So my boys are Connor's twenty five and Garrett's thirty one. So yeah, you know, um, it, it's they both played football in high school, and you know, you 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 know, my son was airlifted, and I was already panicked before he even got hit. Right? I mean, I couldn't even enjoy the games before, right? Because I was so sucked in fear. Um, so it's like, okay, what happened? Well, what happened is God happened, right? It, it's like the closer I get 
to my creator, in my soul, in my heart, closed down from my head. The fear changes. We're, we're going to have fear, right? I mean, fear is a good indicator. It helps us get out of danger. It helps us to be aware of our circumstances. You know, do I have apprehension? Of course. Um, do I have, uh, you know, but it does, it's not paralyzing. And it just, it just kind of comes, right? Because if I'm living a creator-filled life, if I'm 100% entirely abstinent, the fear shifts. It automatically happens. And then it'll crop up, right? It, it, and then I'll say, oh, okay, I got to go to God. But it's just like, um, it wasn't like zero to 80. Oh, my God, I lived in fear and panic, and now it's, it's wonderful. No. Um, the phone did ring at 2 o'clock in the morning the other day, and my first thought was, oh, my gosh, he's in Mexico. But he called just to say hi to my son. But I didn't get that sick feeling. Oh, my God, oh, my God, i got to talk to him. Give me the phone. And then piss off my husband. It's a, it's a slow, gradual change by doing the work, by doing the 10 steps, by doing the prayer and meditation, by doing the nightly review. You know, your two, three, four go-to people that know you inside and out that you can talk to about the kids. You know, that's what I did. I talked to other, you know, mothers of boys. Um, and I didn't stay in that, that the problem. It's like, okay, what's the solution here? What can I do? It, it, that's all I can say. It's kind of like, you know, when you surrender, when, you, when you're eating like a wild animal and then you're abstinent. It's the same kind of thing. It's just continual work. Like step 10 says, what, continue five times or four times? It's just do the work continually. But do the work and, and you know, call people who've gone through it and, and have them be your, you know, a, a, a buddy around it. You know, of course, God's number one. But, you know, call me anytime. You know, I, I believe me, I've lived through a lot with my children. So just a gradual, slow process. Thank you, Chris M., for your question. Susan C., followed by Amy B. Yeah, good morning, Leah. Thanks for your service always. And Julie, thank you for keeping coming back. Um, mm. I got so much. And I was going to ask about your step 10, but that was answered. So... I'll shift gears and ask, um, actually, I'll ask one question related to your step 10, uh, and then I'm going to ask something about ideals. Uh, some recovered folk mentioned that their resentments have abated quite a bit, um, and what they are left to work with is fear, and you've, you've brought up fear, and I, and I hear that that, too, in God's hands, in God, has, has um, abated, has shifted for you. But do you find that it's more about the fear than the resentment these days? Just curious about that. And also, do you call upon your ideals from the sex inventory, whether it was about sex or otherwise, um, in your uh, daily work? Thanks so much. 
Um, so, you know, fear, right? I mean, if you look on page 65 when, when he's given the example of when you're doing your four steps, there's always fear, right? And I, I've been told by, you know, people, long-term AA people and stuff that, you know, behind every resentment, there's a fear. So, you know, my step 10s are, for me, are mostly around the resentment. Um, uh, work. Work is my, my nemesis, <laughs> That's where most of my um, resentments come from. Um, fear, I, you know what, I don't, well, I, guess, I mean, through all the stuff that's happened with Clay, um, I have, you know, had to do some fear work. Um, but it's not, I, like I said, I mean, I do a 10 step like once, or tw- once a week, once or twice a week. Even when, you know, Clay was in the hospital and he had to go in like three different times and all the seizures and, you know, um, yeah, I would say mine are more resentment. And what was your other question to my brain? I'm not sure if I'm still unmuted, but um, it was about ideals. Um, oh, I call upon ideals yeah. in uh, your inventory space. So what I, you know, when I did, you know, I, I go through the steps, you know, uh, I haven't gone through them for a couple of years, I don't think, but um, when I, the last time I did, um, I went through the steps uh, in the big book, uh, like on chaos and control or whatever. And I, you know, I write, I have my ideas. I have a relationship ideas for my husband, for my children, for work, um, for my sisters, whatever. So, yeah, you know, when I'm, um, my accountability partner re- reminded me that the other day that, you know, I need to have that work idea up on one, uh, you know, one of my multiple screens. So when I have that, that meeting with that engineer, I could read it. You betcha. I got to look at my ideas because, you know, they're not it's sitting in my big book on a three by five card is not going to help me in the moment when I want to roll my eyes or if I want to tap my pencil, or if I want to, I am somebody in character assassinate, right? So, yes, ideas are very important. I have a sponsor one. I have a sponsee one. Um, yes. Cannot talk enough about ideas. And they can shift, too. So, yeah, I, I encourage everybody to have them, just like, you know, when it talks about um, that on page 69 about, um, is it 69? Uh, in this way, we try to shape a same sound idea for, talking about sex, we're talking about relationships. We suggested each relation to the test, selfish or not. We ask God to mold our ideas and help us to live up to them. So, you know, yeah, I've got ideas on a lot of different things. So, yeah, definitely call up on them. Thank you, Susan, for your questions. Amy B., your turn, followed by Melissa C. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much, Leah, for your service. Amy B., compulsive overeater, living very gratefully in a state recovered from the food today. Julie, thank you so much for your service and your message today and every day. My question is is with regards to how you sponsor and or just carry the message in general with someone, you did such a beautiful job of pointing out abstinence and spirituality. How do you help someone or how do you support, lovingly support with the beautiful love and humility that you bring to someone who struggles with abstinence and to someone who struggles with a concept of a higher power? Thank you so much. 
Well, I could say first thing is I never fire somebody, right? And and I kind of was raised that way back in the day, you know. Oh, three three flips, you're out, right? No, it's like you know, like the big book, right? They they went and saw. I don't know if that was Fred, some five times, um, and it's like I I try to be loving, kind, and compassionate without being um, codependent. Um, I have guidelines, if you will. I have, um, you know, some people call them non-negotiables. I, you know, I'm up front with the people. Honesty, right? Honesty is number one. If you're eight, tell me we're going to work through it. Um, so it's being compassionate. And, you know, usually, like I said, I don't fire somebody. What they'll end up doing, if, if this is, they'll walk away, right, because they, they, they're not ready. Um, and with their spirituality, it's like, you know, step two, came to believe. You know, we don't have to have God the first moment we start working the steps. It's just knowing that there is something, something out there. And, you know, as you know, Amy, I'm connected to nature. And, you know, that is powerful. I mean, there's life in nature. There's power in nature. And if somebody wants, if the ocean is their mana, if, you know, the trees, the power in the oaks, I don't judge what anybody else's spirituality is because how, how can I? Because what, what I need might not be what the other person needs. So I meet them, you know, it's like, I don't know what that saying is, you meet them where there are. And I, I don't try to mold somebody because that's not my job. I'm just a guide. I'm, I'm, I'm just there. And um, that's how, you know, the last three-ish years, that's how I've been sponsored. And, wow, what a difference, right? Um, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> so, yeah, just uh, but compassion, being there, meeting them where they're at. And I don't dictate what somebody has to do. I give them suggestions. So. Thank you, Amy B., for your question. Melissa C., followed by Carol C. Hey, thank you. Oh, gosh, thank you so much. Thanks, Leia, for your service. And thank you, Julie. I'm really happy to hear you. And, um, you know, my question, I have two questions. One is, um, you know, I, first of all, it's inspiring to hear how, you know, and I know how you walk through these hard life events and that you do have, <laughs> like, that you're serene, that you're chill about it, that you're not riddled with fear. And, and so I appreciate that. And I'm wondering if you could sort of think back to your process of the steps, to what, at what point, you know, and I think that might offer hope for people. At what point do you feel like that fear got quieter? Because it doesn't just, right, my experience doesn't just happen at step 12, that it starts happening. I'm just wondering if you could discuss that. And then I'm going to ask my other question. Um, you mentioned, you know, because of these circumstances that come up that require, like, perhaps dropping everything and running, right, to take care of situations speak about how you maintain your absolute abstinence in those in those scenarios as well. Thanks, and I'll pass. Got it. Thank you, Melissa. Um, 
yeah, you know, like you said, it, it doesn't have, I don't wait till step 12, right, to get that. So when I went, when I went through the steps again, um, oh my gosh, three years ago, I was still recovered, but I didn't have that emotional sobriety that I have today. So as I was going through the steps and, um, you know, step two, right? You know, re, re, re-looking at step two, came to believe in the power greater than myself. As it, my, my creator shifts and changes and ebbs and flows. So, uh, you know, when I'm taking people through the steps, it's as early as step two. Even step one, when you're putting down the food, you know, that is God, you know, with some human aid in there, right? We have to do whatever is humanly possible, but then our God takes takes over. Um, it, it, it's all of the steps. I mean, you know, uh, some people, you know, and, and it's not a controversy. I'm not saying right or wrong. Some people say, you know, you don't meditate and pray until you get to step 11. I have them start right away in step one. Whatever you want to call your God, just start talking to it. Find, you know, start reading about different um, spirituality methods, different different modalities and, 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 and experiment. So, yeah, it's, it's every step. And it just, for me, it's kind of like that that building, I mean, I don't quilt, but I can imagine you, you have all these scraps. And it, with each step, it becomes together and more beautiful and more powerful. And that's how it is with our creator is that we're building upon that what is that god who is that god and then it goes from our head to our heart to our soul and by the time you're at step 12 you know or when you hear the buzzwords living in 10 11 and 12 thriving and growing in 10 11 and 12 because god becomes it shifts right i don't have to actively okay i gotta pray and meditate I, I, it's 10 o'clock, I need to do that. You know, my reminders I used to set because it's, now it's just a part of my daily life. So, yeah, start, each step you're going to grow with God. Um, it, so it happens each step. Uh, for, for me, it did, um, you know, when I went through the work as a recovered, well, abstinent. Um, so dropping and running, uh, at, uh, like with my sister or both sisters or whatever, um, so if I am not 100% abstinent, I have nothing to give. So with my husband, you know, when he was in the hospital, um, can't remember how many days in the hospital, I weighed and measured all my food. I had it in the hospital. I had a couple of days ready in the fridge, in the freezer, because I had microwaves I could use. Always planning. Always planning. I don't leave anything to chance because that is a recipe for disaster. Because I am devious. I am manipulative. I am sneaky. And left in a, let's say, a panicked situation, which I'm not panicking, but a, a, a stressful situation, and I don't have my weight and measured food, um, my brain will say, oh, maybe you can have that. So <clears throat> I'm always prepared. Um, if my sister Linda were to call me right now, 
I have a scale in my purse. I grab my salad dressing. I grab my grain because I know I can go to the store and buy some lettuce or whatever, um, things like that. Um, I travel, as you know, every other week I'm gone. And uh, Instacart, I order all my food from Instacart. It arrives an hour after I get there and I stay in a suite that has a kitchen. I don't leave anything to chance. And I weigh and measure all the time. I, nobody cares. They don't care. Um, so, yeah, I got to take care of myself. If I'm not abstinent, I, I, I'm not going to be there emotionally, spiritually, and physically for anybody. I will get into chaos creating. I'll get into um, calamity. And then I'll pick up. It's a given. So, yeah. Got to take care of myself first, right? What do they say in the airplane? Put your oxygen mask on first so that you can help another person. So I get my little abs, you know, I still have an abstinent kit in my car, right? You know, just in case, uh, how if my car breaks down? I've got a grain, I got a protein, I got a, um, a fruit, I got a scale. Um, yeah, you know, be safe. It's got to be safe, so sorry. So. Thank you, Melissa C., for your questions. Next up, Carol C., followed by Connie G. Leah, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for your service. Truly appreciate it. I'm Linda. I'm Carol, compulsive overeater. Julie, thank you so much. It was great to hear your presentation this morning. So I think you may have answered some of this, but this is a little bit of a tweak of it. So... If you are sponsoring someone who has been abstinent for a very, very long time, but the, the emotional sobriety piece seems to be missing, right? There's a lot of manufactured, self-manufactured of misery um, with very short periods of serenity. How would you sponsor this person? Thank you. Oh, great question. So. So the number one thing, right, why we're in the rooms is to develop a relationship with the creator that is going to rock our world, right? That's that's what this is all about. Um, and that is, I mean, that's everything. And if, if somebody is, is missing out on that, so, um, and I've done that. I've taken people who have had years of abstinence through the steps again and it's all about, you know, focusing on that step work, but but developing that relationship. Going, you know, the food's down and all that, but, come, you know, came to believe in a power greater than yourself that can restore you to sanity. Redef- you know, I hate to say redefining your God, but finding out who your God really is. Because obviously if somebody doesn't have emotional sobriety, they're not going to God because the God that they have is not everything or nothing, right? Um, so it's, it's, it's going to go through the steps again to create that relationship. And, you know, maybe they don't have the fellowship, those two, three, four people to go to. Um, they're not doing the 10 steps. Um, you know, because if I... And not having emotional sobriety, that means I'm living in the calamity, right? I don't have the serenity. So that means I'm being selfish and self-centered. I'm relying on myself. So then what's the solution? Is developing a relationship with the creator. So I would take them through the steps again. 
and it would be totally focused on on like it's supposed to developing a relationship with the creator you know the, the steps aren't to be focused on abstinence because that's a given you know we're abstinent now we do the work so maybe the way that the person went through the steps before wasn't focused on you know step 12 right having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps maybe it was more of a food a food-based way of going through the steps so i would definitely take them through the steps using i just use the big book and i do use the aa 12 and 12 as well um i would just um totally take them through the steps in a way that they hadn't gone through before Thank you, Carol C., for your question. Connie G., your turn. Good morning. Thank you, Queen, for your service. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. I think you pretty much answered this question. How do you refill your spiritual cup when you're going through tragedy? I think you covered that. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Um, I think you said about how do I fill up my spiritual cup. It was a little garbled, but... um, yeah, I mean, we kind of went over that. It's um, I just I follow the big book, right? I don't do any more, and I don't do any less. So step eleven upon awakening, because I wake up untreated, right? You know, so I've had what three or four hours of sleep where my brain is uh, in charge, and it might not be in alignment with my my creator. So upon awakening, I get aligned with my creator, my God. I do my spiritual practices, I plan out my day, and all throughout the day, most of the time, because I'm human, I will seek my creator's guidance before, after, during things that are going on, and then I do that check, those 12 questions on my nightly review to see how how I ended up with the day, you know. Not looking to shame myself, but looking to to see where I've fallen short. And, you know, where was I, you know, how did I stock the stream? How did I, how, how did I stock the fish in that stream for other people? Um, do I do it perfectly? Of course not. There's days that I've had to, I've run out of, with five minutes of prayer meditation. Um, there's days that I've had to make amends. But, you know, if I, it, it's like there's that progress rather than perfection i'm human i'm always going to have emotions it's just what degree are they and what am i going to do about it um i mean not emotions but you know my emotional sobriety could be uh wavering and it's like oh gosh i saw that so what am i going to do now you know what what corrective measures am i going to take just like the big book asked if that answered that Thank you, Connie G. We have some time. We can take one or two more questions before we close. Christina Hi, J. this is Katie G. Christina, Katie, and Maura. Let's go with that. Okay, go ahead, Christina J., with your question. Thank you for your service, Leah. It's always beautiful. Um, Julie, you are a great example of equanimity. I love it. Just beautiful what the program has done for your life. Um, My question is, I thought I understood you to say that you had three years of sobriety, uh, but maybe that's just three years of emotional sobriety. 
if I mean, were you in relapse before that three years or and even if you weren't, what was the last time as you were coming out of relapse? Um, did anything make a difference for you at that last turning point there, other than the fact that you were in maybe possible horrific pain that you didn't want to put up with anymore? I mean, I'm out now, but I know what it took the last time for me, and I know what it takes to stay out now, and I have to do those things. But what was your experience coming out of that, your last relapse? Um, thank you so much. Yeah, good question. So, yeah, I have, um, it was three years in uh, January 28th, I think. Three years ago, January 28th, um, I got out of relapse. I um, uh, got abstinent, was going through the steps again. Um, I think I had gained, it was a seven-month relapse after four and a half years. Um, but out of that four and a half years, the six months, I started to lose it. I wasn't, um, I was getting resentful. I was sponsoring too many people. I was doing too much service. I, my nightly review got to be yes, no. I weigh and measure everything, right? Well, then I started using a cup. I started shoving the food in a cup. Hmm, that's interesting. But I justified it. So I started doing all this little stuff. And then I did that stuff about six months. And then I picked up and ate like a rabid animal, just like, you know, I hadn't had those four years, four and a half years. And I think I gained 40 pounds of my 155 that I have been you know, maintaining for the most part for know, 20 years. But it was like this really kind of weird thing. I'd eat, I'd get abstinent, eat, I'd get abstinent, eat, I'd get abstinent, eat, I'd get abstinent. And, um, and then you know, we get to that point where we surrender. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I was not a nice person. I was just in the throes of the disease in every aspect. Got abstinent. Um, had gotten a new sponsor. And um, I was in, um, you know, NOA, but it was... Um, uh, OA where, you know, you had certain things that you've always had to do, et cetera, which saved my life. You know, I learned all my daily disciplines. I was in How since 1981. I mean, How saved my life. I mean, um, and I, I, I left How abstinent and I left How recovered. And then I went through the steps again as a recovered woman and hence me going through the steps recovered. And I grew spiritually more. And um, I know I just say stuff on your question, Christina. So I, so going through the steps again as a recovered woman in a different way rocked my world, right? Um, and just uh, having a new fellowship, if you will, um, so I still have a lot of people that were in my fellowship before. I mean, I still do. Thank you, God, you know. Um, and But just, you know, we create the fellowship we crave. And, and being being with, you know, a lot of people who are just indoctrinated in the big book, right, and 100% entire abstinence, right, because I still do all those daily disciplines every day. Um, 
So my emotional sobriety, as I went through the steps as a recovered woman, that's where that shift started, right? Because just because I was abstinent, I didn't have that. I was still having calamity in my life. I was still trying to run the show more often than not. And when I went through the steps again, it just like a whole new world opened up for me. It's like, you know, like, you know, the design for living. Um, I mean, things that I had, I mean, I had been away since 81. And the peace and the serenity that I have now, I just never had before. Never had. Um, And it's just, you know, I, I just needed to go through the steps again. And I'll probably do it again, you know. I mean, I did this chaos creating going through the steps, which is OA. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm going to continue to grow, continue, continue, continue. Thank you, Christina J. Okay, Katie G. And then perhaps we'll have time for Moore's question. Not sure. Let's see what the time is. Katie G., go ahead with your question. Hey, Leah, thanks for your service. And, Julie, thank you for your service. It was beautiful presentation on the book, um, just sort of piggybacking on the previous question, I had two questions. One is, you know, what it what it really took for you to get out of um, your relapse, which you pretty much have answered, but any other commentary on that? And then from the other perspective, it's pretty sad. Um, it, at least it makes my heart sad <clears throat> that um, people identify as chronic relapsers and can't get out of the food. What do you think is helpful? What can we do? Um, in our community to help other people um, get out of relapse? Um, what was helpful for you? What steps? How can we offer this to them? I want that I pass. Mm-hmm. Great question. So, you know, about about getting, you know, abstinent, right? Um, the first part of your question is like, you know, we got to do anything that's humanly possible, right, until that miracle kicks in, until my God takes over, until, you know, I don't want to say autopilot, but when God is so infused in me, but I, 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 yeah, have to do the work. I need to have a fellowship. I have to weigh and measure my food. I have to, you know, text food changes. This is just for me. I um, follow a food plan. Um, I make three calls a day or get three calls a day. And it's not a checkoff. They're meaningful calls. They're about the step work. So, I have to do, and that's what I tell my sponsees, you have to do whatever is humanly possible plus to get you out of the food. And what can we do, right, to the people that are, feel like they, they can't get out of relapse? Well, we, you know, some of us have been around the block and us have been in relapse enough. It's being kind and compassionate. Like I said, I don't fire anybody. If they're doing the work, I'll continue to work with them. It's building that network, you know, I give people a list of phone numbers of recovered, committed women and men. And I say, here, call these people. And most of these people had had horrific relapses that now are living in the sunlight of the spirit. So it's, it's being kind and compassionate. But a guide, right? I mean, we, we, we're not here to, to be somebody's mother, to be somebody's financial backer, to be, you know, and, and it's so funny, I used to always say, oh, a sponsor's not a friend. But the big book uses that word friend so many times. Yeah, I am a friend. I am a friend. So, I hope, yeah, kind and compassionate, being there, creating that network for them. 
Thank you, Katie G. Okay, let's see if we can get Maura's question in quickly. Go ahead, Maura. Thank you, Leah, for your service. Mm -hmm. So good to hear you, Julie, and and really appreciated your share. Real quick, how do you deal with, um, if you have the experience of having a sponsee who is recovered um, and is through the 12 steps, but says they don't want to sponsor or they are afraid to sponsor. How do you help them move through that, the sponsoring? Well, I go over working with others, right, and pretty much let them know if they don't sponsor, they're going to be in relapse soon. So, you know, do they want to be in relapse, die a spiritual death, maybe a physical death, or do they want to sponsor? And I give them, you know, um, some tools, right? Um, you know, cheat sheets, how to sponsor. And um, and you can ask me offline, there's a person on this line who was so dear to me, she had done this 12 steps from a sponsor's point of view to help sponsees. So I let people listen to that. Um, it's, it's not an option. I mean, it, it says that we have to work with others, strenuous work, or we're going to perish, right? Um, but I help them. I give them every possible resource they can to, to sponsor and, and, and guide them through it. Thank you, Maura Z. Yeah. Oops. Sorry, Julie. No, that's it. That's it. <laughs> thank you, Maura Z. Thanks to all who posed questions today. And, of course, thank you, Julie, for your powerful presentation this morning. Thanks for giving so much to all of us this morning. Truly a beautiful presentation of transformation and recovery as a result of the 12 Steps. And we're going to close now. Chair ID on this presentation, by the way, 20,279. That's 20279. And we will close now from page 164 in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.